Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give flowers to those while they're here to be celebrated. You don't understand who I have in the building with me right now for the podcast. We have hip-hop history. LL had to talk about him on Rock the Bells, made a song about him, Go Cut Creator, Go off the album Bigger and Deffer, Hit the Box and Crush Groove. We're going to talk about the part jams. Def Jam, Hip Hop, New Edition, The Fresh Fest, with this legend and DJing as well. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause, a big salute to, what's my DJ's name? Cut Creator. Cut Creator, welcome to Beyond the Album Cover, sir. Thank you, my brother. How you doing, man? I appreciate you so much for coming on. I'm doing well and appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this podcast. No problem. It's my honor. Yeah, so let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Now, where were some of the part jams you were frequent in the beginnings before hip hop took off? And did you happen to hear one of those fresh mixtapes riding around in an OJ? It, it, it's funny how my, my path began. Uh, my path began, um, I listened to DJs that were, that were, that were kind of unsung. DJ Hollywood, PGJ Jones. Um, uh, DJ Flowers, a lot of the cats from Brooklyn. A lot of us from Queens and Brooklyn didn't hear about Cool Herc and Bambada now. We heard about uh, Theodore, we heard about um, Flash, but we didn't hear about a lot of those other cats. So what happened was we started, I started DJing in 1977. And we used to just do, what we had used to have is block parties. And block parties is where uh, your block, your block association would get a, a permit, block the streets off, all the cars gone, all the DJs are, or bands too. They have bands too, because in my neighborhood we had great bands: Fatback Band, Brass Construction. We had a lot of those bands too. But we would block the streets off, and you had entertainment. Period. Whether it was you know DJ or band or whatever. And that's how I really started DJing. Uh, oh, yeah. I was so interested in that. It, it was amazing to me. Wow. So it was at that time where the different boroughs would just hear what was going on in the borough. Then as the mixtape started circulating around, you started to hear about, oh, so-and-so was popping off in Harlem. So-and-so was popping off in the Bronx. Or was it just very insulated? And yeah, you know what? You, you would hear the mixtapes. You know, you would hear Flash, Theodore, the L Brothers. Uh, you would hear... Um, we didn't hear too much of the Bronx. We heard Queens, Brooklyn. We heard uh, Infinity Machine, the Disco Twins. We heard a lot of those guys. We didn't hear a lot of them. Only one we heard was Flash and Theodore. Oh, man, because I remember the stories about the part jams and how you would take the power from the street light to power your system. You had your right. crew that bring the speakers, the crates, the whole nine. And... The big test was they would take the traditions of reggae with the sound systems where you would pump up your biggest, your best record, and if it blew out your opponent, you won the battle. Right, right. Well, well, I'm gonna tell you, let me let's go back. Go we ahead. did the street lights. We did the street lights and the lamps. But this is a funny part we did, and this is illegal as hell. So I'm gonna tell you. We from where I'm from, we had a place, a schoolyard called 118 Park. And back in the day, we used to play basketball, handball, softball, everything in the park, hang out. But what we did was they had, these were when the schools had the gates on the windows. 
we would slide through and plug plug a k a, 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 a AC cord into the wall and leave just let it hang, especially in the summer when school was closed. So we had an outlet right outside the school <laughs> window. The true story, true story. So we leave it there all day. Then we just plug in right now. We didn't have to go into the um, in my na- that's my neighborhood park, you know. Oh man. And they were also saying how when the big blackout happened, a lot of DJ crews shot up overnight. They were hitting up crazy eddies and start your local electronic store here and was getting equipment left and right. And a lot of DJ crews kind of sprung up thanks to that. Um, it could have happened, but for me. I was in my local park, 118. We were playing basketball, hooping, you know, just hooping and whatever we're doing. And we're hooping. When it went out, because I was there, it was 1977. And there's a famous song, Where Were You When the Lights Went Out in New York City? But when I was there, it was like, yo, we're playing like, you know, hey, man, what just happened? I was worried about getting my basketball. (laughs) You know what I mean? I didn't know what was going on. But we were more creative. We built our speakers. We built our stuff. We 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 would um, go to Canal Street and get um, the woofers out of the Gauss or whatever woofer it was, or Sarah Vega woofer, and we would build our speakers. Wow. And that's how my system came. Yeah, we built them. And this was all on the fly, learn as you go, or you kind of had somebody like, okay, you do this basic here, basic there, and just locked yourself in the room and figured it out. Right. We just, well, we seen some of the Jamaicans do it. Some of our brother, our Jamaican brothers, we seen them do it. But for the most part, we just learned from them and we, we moved on, you know? Well, there wasn't a really a big uh, Home Depot, but we go to the local uh, hardware store and do that. Mm-hmm. So what was that first thought like when you first heard a scratch for the first time or a DJ going back and forth between records? Because prior to scratching and the peekaboo system, which was what it was called back in the day, before it was called queuing, where you would have to constantly play a record to have another record go alongside it in order to keep the party moving. The first guy I personally heard to do it like that was um, a guy that doesn't really get a lot of credit but he he's he's a legend and his name was dj divine uh he was with a group called infinity machine and um divine just had he had it you know he wasn't like you know in the bronx or nothing but in queens him and uh, uh his mc woody wood they, they were legends in our neighborhood and they were legends they were legends in queens when you can be a legend of Queens, there was really two legends in Queens. Disco Twins and Infinity Machine. Then there was other groups a little up under Solo Sounds, my, my crew and a bunch of crews under it. But the two, the, the major he- heavy hitters was Infinity Machine and Disco Twins. And when they battled, woo, it was awesome. Yeah, because hearing a lot of those early hip-hop mixtapes like DJ Hollywood, Eddie Chiba, Pete DJ Jones, you had that feel of, it's like Studio 54, but younger. And what was that like when disco was emerging? But knowing disco wasn't really for the young, and you couldn't really get into Studio 54 because of the high clientele. And they said, hey, let's take it to the park and let's bring the music to the people, something that we like, something that for us, by us. Well, well, to be honest with you, 
though that era a lot we couldn't get in a lot of clubs. Right? But then we had those guys like the the you know um Hollywood who's a legend. I mean, I think and and anybody will tell you I'm a big fan of Hollywood. I think Hollywood doesn't get his just do. Same thing with Eddie Chiba, Love Buck Starsky, Pete DJ Jones, uh DJ Flowers. Those guys are really the 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 guys that really don't get to just do. And um and those guys are 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 the uh how do you say the blueprint of of what I do. You know what I mean? Uh I know Flash and the guys from the Bronx, and this is not where hip hop started conversation per se. But um those guys laid the groundwork for all of us. You know, myself, Jam Master J, Hurricane Davy DMX, you know, those guys laid the groundwork. Yeah, definitely the OGs, the pioneers standing upon the shoulders. Now, at this time, block parties, you got ballrooms being rented out, schools being rented out, just getting in wherever you can. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, Sylvia Robinson, and Sugar Hill Records came out with Rapper's Delight, and I believe it was 79, but prior to that, you had King Tim personality dropped by the Fat Bat Band. So what was it like that first time when you heard rap on wax? Well, the first time I heard rap on wax, believe it or not, it goes beyond all that. The first time I heard rap, uh, rap on wax, it was by uh, Pig Meat Markham. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. And if you listen to it, it's like, wow. And this was like in the 60s. I might have been five years old and I heard that. You know, so then King Tim the Third kind of was a, a eight-minute nonstop rap. That was great. But the one that really attracted everybody was the Sugar Hill Gang and uh, Rappers Delight. And that was about 19, like that's 1978, maybe. Yeah, around 78, somewhere, 79, yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. yeah. And they did the baseline for Sheik's Good Times. And then upon reading Dan Sharnis book, The Big Payback, that they used Sugar Hill's in-house band to replay that baseline. And then, of course, right. we all know the famous story of how they were put together and the rhyme book that Big Bang Hank, rest in peace, had gotten from Grandmaster Cass and right, took right. the lines there. And then I didn't realize that um, one of the members for Sugar Hill Gang, his brother was Richie from The Last Dragon. I didn't know that. This is the funny part about that. Omar, I mean, um, uh, Leo, that's my man. That's my homie. Leo was my homie, homie, homie. Yeah, when I lived in Harlem, because I'm from Queens, but I lived in Harlem too. Leo, man, we uh, that was a good dude, man. He just, you know, he got caught up in some some other stuff. But Leo was a good dude, man. I, that was my homie. Yeah. So at this time, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, Rappers Delight, and then you had all these little indie labels popping off, you know, Enjoy, Select, and Insert, whatever indie label here, putting out rap records. And it was at this time where you were only getting, you know, single deals. And if mm -hmm. the single took off, then maybe mm -hmm. we would think about doing an album. So what was that take of it progressed from being a single-oriented genre to where we're going to make full-fledged albums and enter Russell and Rick and Def Jam? Well, let, let, let me tell you my story with LL. Go ahead. 
Um, I started DJing 77 and started doing the block parties like we were coming, what we were talking about. And then I met a young man, probably about, a, let's say, maybe 81, by the name of Todd Smith. And at the time, his mother would bring him to the block parties. You know, it might be a party around the corner from his house or whatever, a block party. And for those who don't know block parties, block parties are, when you, like I said, when you close the streets off, they barbecue it. It's a good time. It was a great time back then. So he always used to say, yo, man, I want to rap. I want to rap. I want to rap. Can I rap on your mic? I'm like, no, dude, no. Come on, man. No. So the next summer, he always came. His mom brought him out there. Yo, I want to rap. And we let him rap. And he was amazing. He was amazing. So... Wow. At that point, I started um, taking him around to battle. We used to actually battle. I took him. He's about maybe 13, 14, maybe 13. I would take him around. His mom and grandmother would give me permission. I would chaperone him, take, protected him. Um, and um, I would take him around. And we would battle some of the baddest cats, man, some bad cats. And he would do his thing. Mm, so that was like around where you would go to, let's say, this borough and say, yo, who's your best rapper in your borough? Point them out, take LL, LL murder, and just go from borough to borough until he built this rep. Like, oh, we don't want to mess with this guy. Well, it just, you, you got to start internally first. We started in our, in our hoods first. You know, we had a, a, one of my homies. He was a good, uh, rest in peace, my man. He was, he called himself, we used to call him Hutch. But then he called himself Hollywood, and I always call him Hutch. But Hutch was good, so we would battle Hutch and them. We would battle uh, a bunch of crews, different crews locally first. You had to go locally first. Uh, you just don't jump out. <laughs> you just don't jump in uh, 30 feet of water. You know what I mean? So we battle Hutch and them and bust Hutch and them, saw Hutch and them. But me and Ella had a fallout that one time. We was battling Hutch, and Ella was so eager. Where well, he went down after we done beat their ass, he done went to Hutch's crew and got on their microphone. He'll tell you that story. And I got mad at him, like, "Yo, dude, you we we a crew. We a crew here. We done did there. You know, I mean, I know you're trying to shine, but it, 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 that's the way it was, man. But if you loved it, you loved the game back then." Right, and that was the way that you got on back in the early days. If you were rolling with a crew, you would carry the crates or at least be a hang around to help up right. unload and load the equipment at right. the end of the right. night, and that's right. how you earned right. your keep. Right, exactly. Exactly. Mm. And, and, and I'll be honest, when I first started, I was probably the third or fourth best DJ in my crew. I was because I was I was an athlete, man. I was uh uh college scholarships and everything so i was i wasn't even thinking about it like that you know it, it was a hobby for me mm -hmm. yeah because i'm sure for a lot of people during that time it was like we love it but it's not something i can envision being a nine to five and just like um ramon right. and b street you got to have a day gig to keep the lights on and then do your passion on the side until something can pop off. Now, is the story true about, I believe it was Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys. He was in Rick Rubin's dorm room at NYU and fished out LL's demo. Absolutely true. What happened was LL used to buy all these records, right? 
And uh, on the records back then, I don't know if they still do it. They had the addresses on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would actually make copies and send them to the addresses. And one day, Ad-Rock caught that tape in the pile, you know, and um, that's how it happened. And what was that like, that first meeting of Rick and Russell? Because I believe in previous stories where LL would give interviews saying he was shot that Rick was white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely right. Um, when he got the deal, he said, yo, the dude is white. Yo, he had told me, and I had seen him. We had to do a gig. No, we didn't do the gig with them. It was when the Beasties came out. And Russell and all of them were there. And it was funny because LL had these boots on. And we're like, yo, what the fuck are you wearing, man? <laughs> you know, he had these like a Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five boots on, man. Mm. Like we're wearing Adidas and, and, you know, Lee jeans and, you know, but that was a big joke. And that, oh, they, um, LL and Russell always say that. So we're in a uh, club called Encore in New York, in Queens, New York. And Rick, when I first met him, he had a do-rag on. Still would have a do-rag on. But he, I mean, <laughs> it, that's the way he I guess that's the way he wanted to portray himself in um in 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 in, in Jamaica, New York, <laughs> you know, Jamaica, Queens. But uh, I was surprised that he was a white dude. Right. And I interviewed Allison Williams recently, and she was telling me about That's my homegirl. Yeah, she was telling me how she was singing backing vocals on a lot of those early Curtis Blow records, Basketball, If I mm -hmm. Rule the World, and was very instrumental in Def Jam's infancy. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you the funny thing. When, when, when Def Jam rushed production, it was three of us. that were, I worked for Russ, Russell for $75 a week. True story. 1133 Broadway. Me, Allison, and Orange Juice Jones were homies. We used to, because I lived in Harlem at the time. I left Queens and lived up in Harlem. And we used to take the train together. You know, Allison Williams was one of the most underrated singers in my lifetime. The girl, girl's a diva. She can sing. Uh, a lot of y'all don't know, just, if you, just in case you don't know, she had the song, Just Call My Name, and I'll Come Running. You know, Orange Juice Jones had the song, The Rain. Um, so those were my homies. I knew them. We used to, like I said, we used to take the train uptown together, you know. But um, that's the way it was. We were just, um, we was all struggling artists back then. Mm -hmm. And now LL gets the deal. And what's the process of, like going into the studio to make radio, which came out in 85? Okay. This is where the story gets funky with me and LL. And not funky, funky, but okay. When I was DJing back in the day, everybody called me Cool J. My first name is J, J A Y. So everybody used to call me Cool J. So LL became one this name, LL Cool James, you know? So a lot of people don't know I'm not the original cut creator. There was a guy by the name of Philip, I forgot his last name. And he called himself Cut Creator. He actually did the first scratches on um, one of the first songs. I don't remember, I think it was on 80 Beat. Yeah, he did the first scratches. 
And so what happened was when LO finally got the deal, I mean, when he got the deal and we started doing shows, we did one, our first show, I'll never forget it. It was at Boys and Girls High School in Brooklyn. And L was like, yo, he's, we're not connecting. So me and L did the routines that we used to do and then let him play the song that he scratched on. So it didn't really work out. So after that gig, it was no more. The first gig that we ever did live, um, that was the first and last gig of the first cut creator. Wow, that's something I did not know. And this is why it's so important to have you here to tell us stories that mm-hmm. mostly everybody do not know. Now, also at this same time, signed to Jive Records, we have a, a three-man rap group that I believe was produced by the late Larry Smith and Thomas Dolby. Another, another, another underrated artist. People need to give him his props. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Larry Smith, rest in peace. Give him his props. Rest in peace, Larry. Thomas Dolby did production on their albums. And also, Mr. Magic had a hand in putting them on Mr. Magic's mm-hmm. one. So tell me about the impact of Houdini. Houdini, those are my brothers, man. I love all of them. I mean, they're going through something now. I don't know, whatever. But those brothers... And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of stray a little bit. Go ahead. Because you just can't talk about Houdini without talking about Ron Curtis and the Fat Boys. All is a group, like all of us together. You can't because we all. I learned from personally. I learned from Grandmaster D and Jam Master J, my brothers. I love those dudes so much. Uh, Jam Master J is to me is the greatest DJ of all times. I don't give a damn what nobody say. You know, when I say all around, because he does everything good. He's not great at everything, one thing, but he's good at everything. Right. You know, Grandmaster D too, you know. mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely that. And to think about how hip-hop was prior to LL, Run DMC, you're dressing like everyday wear. Rap acts were dressing at the time before that, like Parliament, Funkadelic, Psychedelic, rock groups. So it was a big shift to see rock wear and then to see guys in Godfather hats, Lee's, Adidas, Dookie Gold Ropes, Kango hats, and dressing like people from around the way. Well, well, going back to what I was saying about the encore, the time L.O. had them high, high, high knee boots because he was trying to follow Grandmaster Flash in them. But in our neighborhood, that's what we wore. We wore Adidas. We wore Lee jeans, jean suits. We wore, we were, we were dudes. You know, we were the normal dudes. So when you ever seen the movie Crush Groove, when we walked in and you see me with the box with a Yankee jacket and, and a gold cross, that's what I, my normal wear. You know what I mean? That's what LL wore. That's what E-Love wore. Sweatsuits and velour suits and all that. That's how we dressed back then. Mm-hmm. Now, were you surprised at the success of radio and once you guys went on tour, certain regions that responded more were like, oh, we're really popping in this region? Well, you know, before radio, we were real good in the tri-state area, kind of Connecticut down to Virginia, maybe a little North Carolina down in that region. But when the movie Crush Crew came out, we probably prior to that, we probably making a thousand dollars for a show. 
Then after that, it went to 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. It, it got crazy. I mean, we were I was driving. It was three of us, me, LL, and E-Love. I would collect the money, put it all in my drawers, um, dry. But then it was like, dude, people are following us. And like, I mean, people will follow us. Like if we were in Philly, they will follow us from the club to the Walt Whitman Bridge. That's a, that's a, that's a ways, mm-hmm. you know? And that's how we knew we were like, oh man, this is serious. Then we actually started hiring a staff. Wow. And everybody knows, you know, when you're doing shows and you got to talk to the promoter at the end of the night, you definitely want to make sure that the business is proper because if not, then there's going to be some problems. Now, was it all? Well, with- I used to collect mine beforehand. I didn't play. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know. I'm the, I was New York City champ, New York State runner up wrestling. I mean, I, I, I wrestled Olympic gold medalists. I used to box everything. I didn't play games. I didn't play games. You know, if it didn't happen, it didn't happen. We'll just take a loss. Um, yo, we ain't gonna get no money tonight. We ain't going on. We leaving. So I knew the game, and I still know that even right now, I'm I'm, I'm that same way. Yo, this is business, man. Right. It's a business first and whatever you love to do second. Now, also, what was interesting around the same time is that you had the merging of uptown and downtown, you know, Fab Five Freddy and downtown with CBGBs with the acts, you know, like Blondie and television, then coming uptown. So what was that like when you saw the merging of these two worlds coming together and like, hmm, we're really more similar than we are different? Well, you had clubs like the Limelight and um, let me see some of the clubs. Um, like Freddie and them being out in the Limelight and them real trendy spots. Like if you remember the Crush Group uh, scene where they were in this kind of, I forgot the club, when when uh, CBGBs and all that. Uh-huh. I mean, that wasn't our style. We were, we was, I mean, this is before the Latin Quarter, but we was a rooftop. We was Broadway International. We were those clubs. We were in our hoods. But then when it came down to those clubs, it was different because you had doctors, lawyers, you know, and no disrespect. And I'm just keeping real. The the drugs with the drinks were different. The drugs were different. It was like, dude, I don't, you know, we ain't doing all that. Yeah, because it was crazy how, you know, you had your highbrow and then everybody from the hood. And like I said, the kingpins, like your fat cats, your pappy masons, and everybody was just intermingling. And you knew certain ones that you didn't want to mess with if you stepped into the club. Well, well, the thing is, with me was I was very well respected from my, 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 my career before, before the DJing. So I had, you know, went to school with a lot of those cats, loved those cats, you know, knew a lot of those cats. They respected me. I respected them, you know, plus I, you know, I was from a neighborhood that had some, some heavy hitters. They were quiet hitters, but they were heavy hitters. And um, we respected everybody because I wasn't in that game. So they, they loved me, you know, they love if I, if I protected LL, like I told my man, like, yo, that's my boy, man. Leave him alone, man. You know, he's, he's new. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I protected a lot. I protected my whole crew, you know? Right. And but, what, um, huh? 
Yeah, and, and what you're supposed to do now when you're going outside of New York, were there other, you know, little local gangs in the hood that try to test like, oh, you from New York? Well, we from Philly, and we're going to show you how we get down. See, I never had that problem. We never had that problem. You know why? A lot of times I had the smarts to get with the big ballers in certain cities. And I'm still good brothers with a lot of them in Detroit, Chicago, Philly, uh, 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 Texas. Dude, you, 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 you just don't roll up in people's spot, you know? So you met people, I might give them tickets. I might give them 10 tickets. But that 10 tickets saved our lives, you know, could have saved our lives. Right. They're going to make sure that you're good, that you're taken care of when exactly. you roll through to their spot. Now, it was around, I think it was 80, fast forward a little bit to, I believe it was 86. And Run DMC went to go do a show out in L.A. I think Uncle Jam's Army brought him out there. And I can't recall the venue where it was at in L.A. I think it was Chris L.A. Sports Arena? I think it was because it was a Crips and Blood altercation there. And when a lot of acts would go out west for the first time, it, it was like you really had to be on high guard because of how heavy the gang situation was at the time. Okay, I, I'll tell you an incident. I think it's the same one we're talking about. Mm. The Raising Hell Tour, 1986. Um, it, it was, see, they... This is what the media tried to, you know, the media tried to portray. Like rap music promoted gang violence. No, it was just a lot of young kids, happy, whatever. But you had a gang problem before the rap music. You know what I mean? You had a gang problem before rap music. So if we're in the L.A. sports arena and they're getting buck wild, that just in cause of rap. That happened in amusement parks. That happened in movie theaters. That happened in regular parks. You know what I mean? So don't blame rap music. And that's, you know what? And it's funny I say this. It's like, it's kind of like fake news per se, <laughs> but not going that way. Yeah. But, 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 but you know, I'm like, dude, they were going to do that regardless. If we were in a parking lot or could get, I seen that in Madison Square Garden. The same shit happened in Madison Square Garden, same year. And they try to blame it. It's just the kids was in there and it was just a bunch of, it wasn't a music. It was just them getting together. Yeah, and if you've seen the movie The Warriors, you know what I'm talking about, where each hood had their own little gang and mm -hmm. you had to bop your way back to your territory. You can't mm -hmm. just roll through somebody else's spot without right. getting, getting their co-sign because I believe it was in the documentary United States about the roller skating scene out in L.A. DJ Yellow was talking about how World on Wheels and Skateland USA were in rival gang territories and one of the skating rinks ended up becoming a neutral site where don't wear your colors, don't start no stuff because it's all about skating and having fun and you really had to protect right, your right, neck. Right, 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 right. That's exactly right, man. L.A. is one of my favorite places. I love L.A. Yeah, Cali I know, I know, is always on my bucket list. I've never been to California. It, it's one of those spots, man. My brothers, like Roger Clayton, Bobcat, um, uh, 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 Dre, everybody, I love them. They, they, they treated us like, you know, the L.A. Posse. When the L.A. Posse came to my hood, I told everybody, don't touch them cats. 
Because they were new and they, they didn't have cars. They would walk to the corner stores, get their beers or whatever they did. Don't mess with them. And I, you know, taught, yo, they was good. Then they, they would go to local bars and sit and hang out, whatever. Right. But they were, you know, that's the same way when I was in LA, they did the same thing to me. They were like, yo, man, don't mess with him. He, he's our brother, you know? Right. They made sure that you were taken care of and not to be messed with. Now, the LA right, right. rap scene at that time before NWA and Gangsta Rap came in, it was more high energy. You know, you had World Class Wrecking Crew, LA Dream Team, Egyptian Lover. It was more- It was more like, of a, 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 a EDM, not EDM, but it was a 130 BPM, electronic, um, electronic, you know, a lot more electronic, you know, music. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like MC Shy D, and then it went down to Florida, that type, you know. Like like the precursor to Miami bass. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm, And then also, yeah, then also out in LA, we have Greg Mack, who I had a chance to interview, go on YouTube and check that out. 1580 K Day rap music all the time, but then we also got to talk about Mr. Magic Red Alert, who I also interviewed. Chuck Chill Out and the impact of those three stations 98.7 Kids, WBLS, and 1580 K Day in the expansion of hip hop. Man, all those guys you mentioned, Greg Mack, when we first went to LA, we went to K Day. And if you know K-Day, it was on the top of this hill. You go up, uh, I think it was Silver Springs. I forgot where it is, but you go up this top there, steep hill. It was crazy. It was a little shack. We used to go there, and we did Greg Mack. Red and Chuck were the first guys that played all the LL stuff. Um, Mr. Magic, Marley Mall. Uh, you know, we even had a little beast. Not leaving beast, you know. You know, with when the Shan, Shan LL thing and Mr. Magic just rock, talk trash. And Magic, Magic was my boy, man. He he was a good dude. He was a little arrogant, cocky, but I used to like clown his ass. Cause I remember I can show you pictures, man. We used to play basketball together. Wow. And me and yeah, like I was you know, I, I would clown Magic. But rest in peace, Mr. Magic. Definitely. Molly's still a good dude. Um Red's my homie, my brother. Chuck is my brother. I love these cats, man. Um, we 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 just those are the guys. Those are the guys that really don't get their just do either. Right, and I didn't know this about Red Alert until I watched the Beat Rhymes and Life documentary on Tribe. That um, I believe it was one of the members of the Jungle Brothers. I can't recall who. That Red Alert was uncle. Yeah, uh, baby. Um, What's in there? I'm sorry. The light skin one. The light skin one. Baby Bam. Baby Bam. Yeah. Baby Bam is 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 red related to red. Yeah, I I thought yeah. that that was very dope. You know, with the synergy and how if your record got played on even Mr. Magic or Red, you know, you were gonna blow. But also too, if you hit Philly, go to Street Beat with Lady B, you were gonna pop off in Philly. Yeah, I mean, we had see in Philly, you had the same situation like you had in New York. You had Mr. Magic. Red Alert Chuchilla. In Philly, you had Lady B or um, uh, uh, what's her name? I'm sorry. Uh, what's the other one? The other lady. Uh, oh, Jesus. I know her very well. Uh, I know you're it'll come to me. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll, you had the two stations. You had the same thing, you know? Um, you had the same thing. Lady B and what was her name? Uh, man, I know her so well. 
I should actually spend the night at our house. I can't remember the name. <laughs> forgive my, forgive me. No, um, no, 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 no. It's all, it's all good. So those regions, but then going down south, did you all fear that rap would take a minute to catch on down south because you know R and B and it's very slower pace and it was a lot of people kind of had that perception of the time at, as the south is being backwoods, slow and country. I think what happened with the movie Crush Groove. That helped a lot because when they started seeing visuals, it was crazy. And then that, that nationwide distribution helped everything a lot. Mm-hmm. And you also- know, um, you know, the LLs, the Houdinis, the Run DMCs, you know, um, uh, believe it or not, when we first started, we had my first gig outside of New York was. It was LL, Dougie Fresh, UTFO, Rockmaster Scott, the Dynamic Three, and it was somebody else. Captain Rock and the Cosmic Crew. With the Cosmic Crew, doom, 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 going to rock yeah, for you. Yeah. Exactly. And then Dude, we 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 all toured together for a minute. For a minute. We did like spot dates, man. We were killing it. And we were rookies. We all had maybe one or two songs. We were killing it. And was there times when y'all were on the bill where you're like, man, oh, so-and-so is going to go on here. We're going to kill them so that way the stage could be so hot that they didn't want to come on after us. You had that friendly competition. Oh, all the time. I can tell them year by year. Um, The beginning, Dougie was killing us. Dougie, Dougie, Dougie had a nice show. Dougie and Rick first got together. They did their thing. UTFO did their thing. Everybody did their thing because we learned from Run, the Fat Boys, Curtis, uh, somebody else. I'm missing somebody else. Flashing them in the Fierce Fire. Because you had to perform. You had to perform. So the thing was, though, you had to come with it. You had to come with it. So then we, I'm going to tell you a funny story. When we got to um, elevated ourselves from 85 to 86 and went to um, on the Fresh Fest. No, it wasn't Fresh I'm sorry. Raising Hell Tour in 86. It was crazy because Houdini would whip our ass every night in Memphis. Every, I mean, every time Memphis, Houdini would kill in Memphis. But we get the ass in Philly. So certain regions would yeah, be up for the other act. Run would get us in, 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 say, Boston and Providence. You know, they would kill us in certain cities. But then we would get them in, a, you know, like I said, our city was Philly. We would get their ass in um, Pittsburgh. They liked us. You know, certain places, they'll like you. you know, yeah. They really liked you. Yeah, you mentioned no. Memphis, and I definitely got to get a big mention to DJ Spanish Fly. Mm. Man, his cold scratching is, man, top notch. I had a chance to go to Memphis last year, me and my wife, on an anniversary trip. And I was just fanning out at just the musical history and just how hip-hop-wise, Memphis doesn't get enough credit for what they laid, you know, with Spanish Fly, 3-6 Mafia, 8-Ball, and MJG. Well, you know what, ma'am? I'm going to share this with you. In my early years, I didn't care about no city. Then when you were like 87, and then me, like, 
one of my good friends is Chuck D, Public Enemy. And when we go, we used to visit things. We the Martin Luther King, uh, Lorraine Hotel. We go all these places, visit the Stax Museum. And you start respecting and getting respect from all your people from different, because be honest, we're all the same. We're all the same. And we some people are grad, uh, uh, grow, grow, grown quicker than others. So when we go to Detroit, I can walk right now in Detroit and go to a place called Sweetwaters downtown. And they be like, Cuckreta? Oh, I don't buy nothing near drink. I don't pay for no food because I, I always respected. Those were the things you go into a town, you get attached to the right people. And because you, you didn't want to go into a town and, and act stupid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You always needed that person out there, a, a pinpoint person. If something went down, mm-hmm. that, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. You always needed that. Always. Yeah. Whether, hey, man, my man Chili in Chicago, he got 10 tickets, whatever. 10, ten tickets, 10 backstage passes automatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I with, never had to worry about nothing. Yeah. Now with Rock the Bells, now we know the album version where you got the go go drums and this right around the time when Trouble Funk was signed to Def Jam. And I didn't know that there was another version of Rock the Barrels prior to the well-known version where it's more cowbell to go. I didn't know right, about right. that version until years later. So how did that version come about? And what was your thoughts on when the go-go drums got implemented? Because I believe prior to this, nobody outside of the DMV area was really using go-go drums like that. Well, well, the thing is, LL and Rick Rubin came up with that. And I think a jazz. Jazzy J, Jazzy J. That was one of their things. I think Jazzy J did the, the programming on the drums, and Rick kind of flipped it and, and wanted to implement the, the go-go. Right, and I thought that was dope, but then that later became prevalent with a lot of Herbie Lovebug, Azar's work with Salt and Pepper using that go-go swing. And also at this same time, in Crush Groove, we have a group that's out of the Northeast, five men, later six, one from D.C., New Edition. And I didn't know this until um, Michael Bivens was doing some press prior to the miniseries dropping that a lot of the rap acts would go on tour with them kind of like as the back doorway to get into the arenas because you would have to have insurance on the building in order to perform. So LL, Run DMC, a lot of the rap acts got to go on tour with new addition. So what was that like touring with them? Well, 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 to be honest with you, um, you're absolutely right. Because we're going back to 85, 86, Mm -hmm. the riots like in LA and all that and Madison Square Garden. So you're right with the insurances and all that. But we didn't do a lot of shows with new addition. We actually didn't do. Houdini did a lot of shows with new addition. They, cause they were kind of smoothed out. You know what I mean? They were kind of R and B ish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They not R and B ish. You know, with Larry Smith being there, yeah, the production was cleaner and had that sheen. Yeah, that right. Polish. They were they were they were more safer per se. Mm-hmm. So they did more shows with New Edition. We were good with New Edition. Me and Mike Bivens, 
me and Mike Bivens is tight, man. We still, I still talk trash Mike Bivens about playing basketball. I played with Mike, you know. Um, but 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 we were like, we didn't do a lot of shows with New Edition. I mean, you know, maybe one or two super fests, the type of shit like that. Mm-hmm. But we didn't do a lot of shows with New Edition. Oh wow, yeah, because I remember them saying how when Candy Girl first dropped and it was hitting in New York, they would go from borough to borough to whatever club to do Candy Girl and D. Be, then be back up in Boston by a certain time so that they could go to school. And Madonna even opened up for New Edition. I believe it was Rosalind Ballroom. Well, I'm going to tell you, the first time I see New Edition was in the roller rink in uh, Roosevelt. It was in Corona in Queens. Um, and we didn't even have a song out. I Need a Beat wasn't even out. And that's when I remember seeing them. And I was like, okay, these are, you know, nice kids, you know, whatever, whatever. And that was it. And then they blew up. After that, they just blew up. They blew up. They definitely legends. blew up. They're legends, time, man. Blew up big time. And then also want to segue a little bit because once Bobby came out with King of Stage, I heard it on the last track, the title track, where he had, uh, I believe it was Mixed Master Ice from UTFO doing the scratching. And you kind of heard he wanted to bring that hip hop attitude on that, but it really went over the top and hit Pater with Don't Be Cruel. And Bobby, he just had that hip hop, everything was hip hop about him. And he he did rap and R&B. Bobby's funny as hell, man. Bobby's my dude, man. I, I mean, Bobby, I know Bobby very well. Bobby, we crossed paths and did gigs together. And Bobby's a good guy, man. I think Bobby, a lot of people got Bobby misconstrued. Mm-hmm. Bobby's a good dude, man. Bobby, he's just that 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 firecracker, man. That 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 new addition. Because if you really look at him, they all seem kind of laid back. And Bobby's that mother that dude that just like yo let's go you know and that's the way he was he's that's the way he's always been yeah and i didn't know this in crush groove that the kid that was singing the record be my girl was chad who later became to be known as dr seuss chad elliott that produced stilo and i didn't know this until the rough riders chronicles that he produced one of dmx's first singles before he got on with rough riders i believe he was signed to rough house See, I don't even know that one. <laughs> I didn't know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He it was called, I believe it was called Born Center, I believe was the name of the track. And when I found out that Chad from Crush Group was the same producer, I was like, yo, you mean to tell me that's so-and-so? And then you know, the Fresh Fest, you know, was put together by Michael Martin, who is the father of JD Jermaine Dupree. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Dupree mm-hmm. got to start dancing on the Fresh Fest. So what was that like with that big tour and having everybody just go out and just saying like, man, we were doing part jams a couple of years ago, but now we're selling out arenas. Well, us personally, we weren't nobody at that point. We were riding on Run DMC's bus. Like, so I remember one night we did a gig. I think we did a gig and maybe it's a Roxy. We had to catch a plane. It was the funniest thing. I don't know why we caught a plane, but we, we got a plane and went to Baltimore and got on the Fresh Fest and did Baltimore. We rode on Run's bus and then we did Baltimore and Providence, something like that. Uh, and, you know, they gave us five, ten minutes before the actual show starts. So the show started at eight. 
we got on at 7.55, you know, and we had to get off. You know, it was no it's but stands about. But that's the way uh, it, it went. But we were just trying to get on back then. So doing those short sets like that, you kind of knew, okay, these are the songs we're going to do because we have such a short set time. Or was it before you hit the stage, we're going to do this, this, and then boom, be off so that we don't cut yeah, into nobody's I, set. I, I would scratch something in like, uh, you know, are you ready for LL? <clears throat> something, because I, I, I thought my, my blueprint was behind Jamaster J. So I would do a minute or something. He'll come in and do maybe a minute of rapping. And do do I need a beat? And that's that's what we did. But how do you know when you're doing your sets when to stop, when to keep going, and when you know like okay, I'm going on too long here, just cut it. Okay, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, and and this not to be cocky, I consider myself the best at that. And I learned from the great Jam Master Jay. I am probably the best DJ musical director. I consider myself a musical director. I can read the crowd. I know the crowd. I know the timings. I deal with the promoters. So if we got 15 minutes, I know, okay, we need to do these songs here and I'm going to cut them here. You know what I mean? I'm going to cut them. Just look at me. Just one thing before I stopped working with LL, he can look at me in my eye and I'm like, I can go one, two, three. I'm cutting it off. You know what I mean? Or one, two, three, I'm a story. So I consider myself the best at, as a, a, a show DJ. And, you know, I don't give what nobody say. <laughs> Put me to the test. But I consider myself the best musical director and DJ in history. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I didn't worry about LL. I, I, I controlled LL. Especially if there's time and money, because a lot of times you deal, I deal with TV shows and time is money. You know what I mean? Time is money. If you go with two minutes, that can cost $20,000 to somebody. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not going to let it come out of my pocket. <laughs> Yeah, because they'll so. find you quick if you go over somebody's time. Now, what was it like going to do that first Soul Train taping? And I'm personally know some dancers that used to dance on the show and interviewed um, Don's son and how Don was really the one you didn't want to come across and really tick off because he didn't play that. Yeah. Um, my first Soul Train taper, man, I was so excited. I walked into the room. I'm like, damn, this place small as hell. I'm there on TV. You're looking at it like, damn, it looks like it's a big ass. Camera angles. Yeah, yeah. But Don, woo, Don is stale, bro. Don was stale. Rest in peace, Mr. Canias. I got to give him his respect, but he was a stale dude, man. He was stale. Yeah, he didn't play no games. Like I said, I know dancers he was stale. dance on the show. He would, everybody would get right when he would walk into the room because you knew he didn't play that. He come from Chicago. Yeah, but he was so stale. He was like, Yo, I don't like what he's wearing. You know, it was like, it was weird. It was a weird feeling. Right. And then I also had a chance to interview Michael Holloman from Graffiti Rock. And that show, it really was 
like trying to do hip hop soul train style. You had Run DMC. You had I believe it was uh, Treacherous uh, Three. No, yeah, Melly. Uh, not Melly Mel. Uh, Kumo D. Kumo D. And, and Special K. Okay, right. Because my one. Of, let me tell you something. One of my best friends, man, and we played college basketball together at City College. Me and Easy Lee. Kumo D. DJ. That's the funniest thing, man. Because me and Lee knew each other before the DLL situation. So me and him, me and Lee were like real tight. So today we're tight, mm. you know. And it was funny, like when the LL Kumo uh, D thing was like, me and Lee were like, "Yo, you see this bull crap?" <laughs> you know, we laughed. Y'all were sitting back laughing the whole time. Yeah, while they we were laughing the whole. Se- yeah, exactly. Because we were brothers, man. We we I knew them. I knew Lee since I was 17, 16, 17 years old. We played basketball together. All right. So what was your take on when? Rock the Bells came out, and you know, LL got the whole verse dedicated to you, your DJing skills, and everybody's like, okay, cut creator. Well, you know what, man? I, I, I love LL, man. Uh, a lot of that really was a general... It, it, it was kind of a situation where Run DMC really paid... Run DMC and Furious Five would really dedicate and pay homage to their DJs. You know what I mean? So I have to applaud them for that. But LL, man, um, me and him, we have a different, it's a weird situation. Mm. And I think the other situation is like, you know, he was following something and he showed me love, but a lot of, a lot of the songs, be honest with you, the songs that were under the cut creator name go, cut creator go, a lot of the songs, I wasn't part, uh, participating in it. Oh, man. I, see, I didn't. So know. A lot of people don't know that. I was the live dude. I was the live dude. Studio, I, next thing I know, he was in the studio ahead, you know, but I was a live guy. Because, like I said, I'm the best at the live, you know. So, so in some of those records, you mean that you would have a DJ in the studio doing the scratches and the cuts? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's something a lot of people don't know. I, I never knew that. So, '85, '86, you know, radio's taking off, and then we have this three-man group. Rest in peace to MCA. Beastie Boys. What was your thoughts mm. on the Beasties first coming out? Because I didn't know this until years later, and then I just saw the documentary that Spike Jones did, that they were originally a punk act, had a record called Cookie Puss, and then once they hooked up with Rick and started embracing hip-hop more, that was when we got all the great stuff from License to Ill, then later on Paul's Boutique, mm. and so on and so forth. Uh, the Beastie Boys, man, I met the Beastie Boys in about 84. Uh, Rick, I met Ed Rock, uh, MCA. Um, I met them. Um, we were on tour together. It, it was funny, man. The Beastie Boys were great guys, man. They, they were great guys, man. Because uh, Dr. Dre used to DJ for them. And the Dr. Dre from MTV Raps. Who was an original concept. Right. He was the original DJ. Before DJ Hurricane came in. Yeah, before my my, my brother. That's, an, that's another one of my brothers, Hurricane. 
Hurricane then DJed, and then after that, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the Beastie Boys were wild. I remember being in London with the Beastie Boys, man. I My first time in London, they took me to some places. I'm like, dude, where am I at? They buck wild, throwing shit out the window, man. I'm like, dude, I, I involved this. I, I'm, a, I'm a young black man. I'm not getting involved with this. Because I'll be the first one to get, you know. <laughs> but the Beastie Boys were cool as hell, man. They were real good guys, man. License to Ill, great album. And to see their evolution from License to Ill, Paul's Boutique, Check Your Head, Hello Nasty, mm. and to see the growth and to see where mm. it started, it's just incredible. And we lost MCA way too soon. Way too soon. Right, 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 right. And in the words of my people, F Cancer, um, MCA was a good dude, man. They all were good dudes. They weren't, they weren't. You know how you meet people and they try to be something just to fit in. But the, the, the Beastie Boys were good dudes. They were good dudes, man. And and I had fun on tour with them because they would do just buck wild stuff. Yeah. Like buck wild. Like they'll trash the hotel room. Like we can't do that. I can't do right. it. Right. They were rock and roll. They had like that frat house, animal house type vibe. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't do that, dude, man. Listen, man. I, I wouldn't do that either and have somebody get stick stuck with the tap. So now radio's taking off, and then we go into the making of the Bigger and Deffer album. What was that like knowing that the sophomore album has to be just as good, if not better, than radio, and then the bringing in of the L.A. Posse? Well, going back to Bigger and Deffer, I was more... And this is my fault. I was more at the uh, cat like, yo, okay, what are we doing? You know, I'm there, but my production skills weren't on point. Because right now, I mean, if, if you know, you would have fast forwarded maybe um, another eight years prior, it wouldn't have been no problem. But then they brought the L.A. Posse in. And I knew that of Bobcat, you know, with Roger Clayton and them. So they they came in and we, actually, at first I was a little hesitant, you know. But, they, you know, this is L.L. and, you know, Def Jam. And it, it was a situation where it was cool. We became a family, man. We became a family. Mm-hmm. Me and Bobcat, that's just still my brother, man. I love that. That's a little brother, you know, you know, I got, you know, on the road. See, in the studio, they helped guide me. On the road, I helped guide them. Mm-hmm. You know, I put the shows, helped put the shows together, you know, and all that. But on in the studios, they showed me some stuff that I, I wasn't familiar with. Right, right. And what was that like to have, you know, California come to the east and kind of mesh you know what was going on sound wise out west to the new york sound because it was totally com- completely different styles it, it really was it was just a learning experience it's like yo just put it together let's see because even right now look at look at uh what was that song um let's go back to vanilla ice when he had ice ice baby mm-hmm. ice ice baby wasn't the song remember yeah. It, it was it was like a, a B-side. Yeah, because Play That Funky Music, I believe, was the A, and then the DJ flipped it, played right. the B, and that's when he took off. 
Right, exactly. So you don't know what's in people's minds. So we would just play whatever, just put it out there. You know, there's songs because I'm going to put out, uh, I want to put out a mixtape of LL's lost hits, songs that never really came out. But I'm telling you, if you hear them now, you'd be like, damn, that shit is hot. Right. Because when I interviewed L.A. Posse and um, when they were talking about I Need Love and when Russell first heard it, he said that this is some new addition, you know what? And it became a big hit and it definitely had L.L. set as the female lover and ladies love Cool James literally once I Need Love. Whoa, whoa. What, ha what happened is, let me tell you something. And I, Russell was stuck on that crossover shit run dmc that rock and all that he was stuck on that he was stuck on that he really didn't think about nothing else and and, and it shows i mean i'm not sitting here trying to bash russell by any means but that's what happened and um he was stuck on that the rock and you know run dmc and rock so he didn't know where Anything else was. Yeah, because Walk you This know? Way was a massive crossover hit and it gave Aerosmith that second shot in the arm. So to go from rock rap to a ballad, it was very risky and it was a risk that paid off. Right, right. I'll just tell you, I'm going to tell you, but then he went to the well too much because you go to the next album, which was... Um, was that Walking With a Panther? Walking With a Panther. Then he wanted to put all them, yo, dude, I'm telling you, there's songs on that album that was hot. They, 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 that's why I say this, LL has a lot of songs that's hot. That, um, I'll tell you a song that he did um, on that album. Um, so I did Fast Peg, on, I produced Fast Peg. I did, uh, I guess no rougher, uh, why do you think of call it dope? He had a song called Why, did, why do they think it, they call it dope? Mm -hmm. uh, he had a bunch of shit on it, but he wanted to put the slow shit on there. And at that point, Public Enemy, Eric B, uh, KRS, Boogie Down Production, all of them started coming out. So now everything is changing. Ain't nobody yeah. want to hear that slow shit right there. Right. And you got to kind of catch up with the trend. Because like you said, BDP was out. PE was out. That also at right. the same time, you had an emerging sound that was created by a young man out of the St. Nick Projects. We mentioned the rooftop earlier. And I didn't Teddy. know this. Teddy and, yes, I did not know this until the Red Bull Music Academy interview that his uncle Willie owned rooftop in Willie Burgers. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. So what was your but let me let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Do you know the first great group Teddy was in? Um Kids at Work, which was with Timmy Gatlin. What was the name of the song? Singing Hey Yeah. There you go, baby. And, and, there and you I, go. And I believe it was on Sunny Sounds of New York Records, which was headed by the late Gene Griffin. Say hey, hey. I don't know the words. Yeah. So, so yeah, what was so what was your take on Teddy taking R&B, rap, those James Brown samples, merging New Jet Swing, and I also want to give props to Full Force because they laid the groundwork for what Teddy was doing with New Jet right, Swing right, as well right. with their work with Utelfo, Lisa, Lisa, so on and so forth. I, I want to give major Teddy and Full Force. I, I want to give major props to both of them 
both group. Uh, Bowlegged Lou, who I interviewed. Go check out my interview with Bowlegged Lou. There's a story that me and Bowlegged Lou tell him what I said. It was a situation. My baby mama, (laughs) Lou Lou always brings that shit up. But uh, big up to Lou. But Teddy, I known Teddy since he was. He was a little dude, man. And Broadway International. And they were, we were, I would book, I was a DJ. Me, I'll tell you who was a DJ. Me and Scott LaRock. Rest in peace, Scott LaRock. Me and Scott LaRock, DJ Broadway International. And um, and it was funny because Teddy was a little boy, man. He was young. I'm, I'm saying a little boy. Yeah, he was a youngster. And that's when that song came out. I said, this boy is going to be a star because he was playing the, his little controller and everything back then. Because if you think about it, when Make It Last Forever came out with Key Sweat, you knew R&B was changing because prior to that, it was lush, smooth, you no know, Freddie Jackson, Luther Vandross. But once I Wanna Make It Last Forever came out, it was R&B with an edge. And then Andre Harrell, may he rest in peace, Uptown Records and everything that came out of Uptown, you know, with I'll Be Sure. And did you kind of have an inkling that Andre, when he was working for Russell with Rush Management, and then before that, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, that he was going to be a major figure in the business and what he did with Uptown. Well, the funny part is I wrote a couple songs for uh, some of Andre's groups. I did, um, what's the girl's name? They were called uh, Finesse and Sequence. Oh, Finesse. oh, I thought they were so dope. Straight from the soul, soul I, I produced. I wrote a song called um, a remake called Wanted. Young man, single and free. One ass by the honeycombs. Yeah, but I re I redid it. Okay. And and and, and, and something happened. We it didn't work out. And I was like, yo, dude, that shit is the sh- that's we can flip it. I'm telling you, let that's what they need right now. It was kind of a, a commercial. But um, yeah, I knew Andre. I, I mean, remember, I, I told Andre, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I knew Andre very well. Mm-hmm. And also, I want to give props to this guy. His production work, so underrated. He needs to get all his flowers right now. Kyle West. Kyle West. And I'm an Eddie F2. Yes, Eddie F2, David Jam Hall, the whole Untouchable right, crew. Right, right, I right. I mean, that whole give- new... Yeah, that whole new Jack Swain thing was fire. And what was that take when 1990 Rose LL puts out Mama Says Knock You Out, produced by Marley Maul? And what Marley Maul was doing with Juice Crew with you know Biz, Roxanne Shante, Big Daddy Kane. Well, 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 I'm I'm gonna give credit where credit due. When you say Mama said knock you out that one song, I'm gonna give first of all, I'm gonna give props to Bobcat. Because technically, I was Bobcat's song. Mm. They they still trust me. That was a Bobcat song. Molly oversaw it, but that was Bobcat song. Right. Molly didn't do it like that. Right. And you know, it was just the crazy thing about hip hop. Then it was like, yeah, everybody that was moving and shaking and exploding at the same time. You know, Salt and Pepper was doing their thing, Kid and Play, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And we got to mention the DJs out of Philly, like Spin Bad and DJ Cash Money. Now, what was your take on when you first heard 
cash money spent because I rem- there's a YouTube video I believe it was the DMC Worlds and I want to say 87 or 88 you made an appearance you had a Chicago Bulls hat on in uh, London yeah yeah and I thought it was so dope to see these international DJs take their own spin on what was going on in the states and add their own flavor to it because I believe a lot of DJs that later went to EDM got their start doing hip hop records DJing it's funny man me and Cash. Let me tell you how me and Cash go back. Me and Cash go back when they were with Sleeping Bag Records, right? And Sleeping Bag at the time, who did they have? It was Cash, Marvelous. Was EPMD uh, on Sleeping Bag? I don't know if they were on there at the time. Just Ice was on there. Cold getting Remember when I said we played basketball with, mm-hmm. uh, when we were playing basketball with Mr. Magic? Yeah. Uh, I was playing for Sleeping Bag. Because me and Virgil Sims out of Baltimore, he was their promotional person. So I would play with Sleeping Bag just to play with him because I was kind of independent. Everybody loved me. I did whatever. You know, I, I did music for the, the system, everything. So we were in there. But matter of fact, I was DJing for Public Enemy when, when Cash won his DJ championship in London. I was there. Matter of fact, yeah, I was I was DJing for Public Enemy. Wow, I did yeah. about three shows with them in Europe. We did London, Amsterdam, and Paris. Mm. So, so what was um, that? Better. Yeah, so what was that like? You know, going overseas and how? What was the process like getting your records to do an international show? Because I'm sure it was a pain in the butt to go through customs. Well, no, we just had a box, a little box of records. Shit. I mean, I had a little square box, maybe a little. It wasn't like the way it is now. I mean, shit, how did that go? I don't even remember. I mean, because me, me and Red, it was me, Red Alert. It was, I'll tell you, it was Griff, Flavor, Chuck, and a couple S1Ws. And then... I would tour them, but I would do the actual show because everybody loved me doing their shows because I knew timing and everything. But when we're in London, Cash, Marvelous, shit. Because we're, we're going left and right. But damn, man, as you think of it, me and, me and Cash Money were tight, always tight, still today. Yeah. Still today. Yeah, because I look at his routine, the routine he did with Rock the Bells and Bounce Rock Roll Skate, I was just like draw drop, like the precision, the cutting. I was just amazed. Cash money, I don't give a fuck what nobody say. Cash money. I know everybody knows Jazzy Jeff, but Cash Money also got that thing, man. He, he got that thing too. He bad. He bad. He got that thing, man. He got that thing. I'm sorry. I love Jeff too. They, they, my, but you know, I know Jeff had Will and all that. But Cash got that thing too, bro. Mm-hmm. Now, do you able to tell, like, you know, like, oh, this is the Philly DJ here. Oh, this is the LA DJ here. By the way, he cuts and scratches. Well, back in the '80s, yeah, you could, because you knew what Bobcat, Joe Cooley, and Walk. You know what they did. And Philly, you knew Cash Money, you know, he did a lot of Transformer, 
trans, uh, Jazzy Jeff, you knew it was a different. Because I'm telling you, back in the day, and I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people slept on the the, the Miami DJs. Like, uh, 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 what's my brother's name? DJ for Two Live Crew. Um uh, I know you're talking shit. about this um, off the tip of my tongue. Can't can't think can't can't think of it off the top. I think he lives out here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't sleep on them either. <laughs> so it, it's I'm his name will come to me and I'm I'm sure I'm love. But um yo, it wasn't about New York. New York, New York, what, what happened started happening with New York. New York started getting cocky. And yeah, well, we New York, we New York. But these other cats are starting to like, woo. You know, Mr. Mix, Mr. Mix was his name. Mr. Mix. Mr. Mix. Yeah, but New York started getting a little lazy. And these other cats was getting, whoa, they were getting different. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I look at it like the equivalent of you got that one kid that couldn't run with the big dogs on the court. And they just kept practicing and practicing. And now they're up to your level. You're like, oh, they're that good? We got to step our game up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So what was so, your take on when Heavy D first came out? Because Heavy D was a game changer. He had the look of hip hop, had the smoothed out feel of R&B with his production, and it was a massive success. Well, Heavy D was a unique situation. Heavy D was a very charismatic, very entertaining Heavy D was a, one of the freaking nicest guys you ever wanted to meet. And it, it's really sad because when they say nice guys finish last, it's the truth. Heavy was the nicest dude, man. I, I, I sit there and cry because Heavy was that dude, man. He wasn't... And I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to tell you Tupac. Tupac was Man, everybody could talk all that bull crap they want. When you know Tupac, one of the nicest guy. Jam Master J, one of the nicest guys. I've never met Biggie, but now that I'm seeing some stuff, one of the nicest guys just got caught up in and everything that, that was going on. And, with... and, and that's the sad part about it. But uh, uh, Heavy, the nicest guy, man. I mean, I remember my, my homie E Love got shot. Heavy saw me at the Apollo and grabbed me. He was like, yo, something I could do. Yo, he was crying. I'm sitting there, dude, we good. We were all right. He's all right. He's all right. You know, Heavy was one of those guys, talented, smart, entertaining. And, you know, I really, I'm not going to sit here and say, I, 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 you know, he was my homie, but I miss him because we need more Heavy Ds. Yeah, because I heard stories about people were saying how, Heavy would give them job as roadies, you know, to get them out the streets and to really make sure that they were in a good situation mm-hmm. to get them away from living that life. And I want to kind of de- deter a little bit to talk about this five-man pop group out of Boston. A lot of people don't know this. They were an R&B group, but once pop got a hold of them, that was when everything changed. New Kids on the Block, because I know Donnie Wahlberg and Joey McIntyre, and I interviewed Danny Wood, and they were saying how they used to come up, you know, doing spot dates for Rat Pack. I think in one video or something, Donnie was wearing a Def Jam, Def Jam memorabilia, because New Kids, they were dope, and I thought that they were an R&B group at heart that just went pop. Well, 
I'm not big familiar. I knew Maurice White from the New Edition situation. Maurice Starr? I, I, yeah, Maurice Starr. I said White. Maurice, rest in peace, Maurice White. But um, I know Maurice Starr from the New Edition. I didn't really know the New Kids on the Block. Only time I had uh, interaction with New Kids on the Block when they were on tour with the Beastie Boys. That was a large, believe it or not, that was a large ass tour. That was crazy. That, crazy. Was, that was crazy. That crazy. was crazy. Crazy, yeah, because on- there's a video floating around on YouTube that's of them performing at a Boston nightclub for WILD. They were in matching Jordan tracksuits, cutting their teeth, you know, performing at a nightclub. And when you see them selling out stadiums and stuff, it's just like, wow, T- totally, completely different style, different feel. And mm. I want to talk about this guy out of the West Coast. A lot of people hate on him. They shouldn't because of what he did for rap. The numbers he was doing for rap at this time were pop numbers. It made rap accessible. MC Hammer. And don't let the pants fool you because he's from Oakland. He'll show you that he can get down. Ask Redman. Okay. Let me tell you something about Hammer. I known Hammer before he was MC Hammer. All right. Uh, I used to go to Fremont, California. Uh, Hammer, his brother Lewis, and his brother, let's see, Stanley Lewis, and what's the other brother's name? I don't remember his other brother's name. Before they came out, I knew them. I knew them. But when the troop suits happened, dude, I knew them. They still my brother. They, Hammer, I'll tell you right now. I was one of the co- coolest motherfuckers with them. I, yo, ask Louis Burrell, who, when they had the building, I used to set, I set the quick, um, the studio in their building because they built a, uh, I don't know what they did. They rented out a whole building and put their whole crew in there. And I set the studio up in there. That's how I got down with them. I knew them for years. You know, I, I'm not knocking. I never knocked Hammer. You know, now if I knock Hammer, I knock him for um, the way he spent his money. If I knock that, that's what I would knock him for. But as far as anything else, hell no, I ain't knocking him. Shit, he's a legend. Yeah, he's a, he's a legend. I mean, that the Bay Area, you know, not just Hammer, but you have Too Short. E40, Tony, 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 all of the funk acts that come out of the bay. See, this this is what I'm saying. Back in the day, we like Tony, Tony, Tony. Those are my boys. Uh, uh, when you go to places, like I remember I was on, on, on uh, um, the Def Jam tour. I brought everybody my, 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 at the time, my mother-in-law's house. And she barbecued and everything. And this wasn't no god doggone chicks and else. No, this is us eating ribs, chicken, you know what I mean? Whatever. It wasn't even no drinks. It was like a good feeling, good home feeling food. Just, you know, we were on the road, there's some good food to eat, you know? So um, that's how we were. I, like, I don't know what the, the situation today is with these cats, but. You know, so what was your take on that West Coast sound first breaking through? You know, with NWA, DOC, and then knowing that Dr. Dre's production, and it's like, oh, this guy got it. 
Well, I'm going to be honest with you. The first set, it was a little, uh, but I'm going to say something. D.O.C., that album. No one can woo, do better. Cold. Woo! Cold. Woo! So we can't even talk about those. Because even with the NWA, they had some shit. You know, in the beginning, yeah, they started off slow. But the motherfuckers came up. I love my, my brothers from the West Coast. But that D.O.C., that motherfucker there is the most... I'm sorry to cuss. Damn. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. It's I, all I, I got, I'm, I'm starting to feel it now. D.O.C.'s album? I remember the, got the, the finale, the grand finale. The last joint, I'm like, down, down, down. I'm like, oh my God. The album Yo, tried to with bad. The skits, the production, and got to give Big mention rest, yeah. rest in peace, L.A. Dre. Yeah. Woo! Yo, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I saw, um, I saw, um, I saw him. Where, the, where did I see him? I saw him on Tom Jones' cruise. Mm-hmm. And I saw him, man, and he tried to do it. I think his voice is getting better. He did one or two songs, but it was like, dude, if, man, if that didn't happen, yeah, that album was, was nasty. And that was ridiculous. Yeah, and also at the same time, too, you had the emergence of, you know, Death Row and everything that came after that with the Chronic and Doggy Style. And then you had your different regional imprints, like what Jay Prince was doing in uh, Houston with rap and Master P was forming No Limit out in Richmond before he relocated back to New Orleans. He had Uncle Luke down in Miami with the Miami base. So what was that take of seeing all these different regional sounds start to take? And then later we see the Southern explosion with LaFace and Outkast, everything that came out of the dungeon. Hey, man. And, and you know, the thing was, I think what happened was New York thought New York was about New York, but they didn't understand that all around the world, all around the country, everybody was, you know, creating anything too. You know what I mean? Like rap a lot. I know Jay Prince and 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 Scarface. I hope every, you know everything's going good with him. You know, and uh, because even after like prime example in in, in in Houston, you got okay. Everybody thought about they thought about the ghetto boys. Okay. Ghetto boys, but they know about Lil Kiki, Lil Flip, Big Mo, uh, 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 all those groups out there, man. They had a bunch of uh, uh, cats out there ripping it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that that was one of the things is man, the regions. So if you're in, um, if you're in um, Houston, Houston starts going to Louisiana, starts going to Mississippi. Starts to go in Arkansas. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's an effect. Where in New York they was like, okay, we we New York, but no, man. Like I said, Big Mo, Little Kiki, Little Flip. Uh, 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 um, what's my man? Southside. That's Little Kiki. Uh, uh, it's a bunch of them out there, man. They have a, they have a, a, what's rest in peace, DJ Screw. 
We have a bunch mm-hmm. of cats out there that was doing it, man. They doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they they wasn't accepting New York shit because they had their own shit. Right. So was that kind of tricky when you went into certain regions where they only listened to the local scene and you had to kind of grab the local records to play to kind of get the hometown on your side? Yeah, because I use that for example. When I left to do radio, I went to do radio from Atlanta to the Houston. I did Power 97.5 in Houston. Man, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm going to do my thing. You know, Atlanta, New York. Dude, I got clowned. I got clowned a full year because I didn't I didn't understand where I was. And I tell every DJ right now, I don't give if it's Jazzy Jeff, Kick Capri, whoever. I'm gonna tell you, learn know what they playing in their region first. You know, um, I went there, didn't know about nobody. I'm like, I'm playing. Uh, um, playing something like uh, uh, you know New, New York music, you know mm. they looking at me like my station was looking at me like, dude, people are calling up, they don't want to hear that. I'm like, okay, so it, it was different. It, it was different. Yeah, and the funny thing you mentioned about the regions, you know, I'm originally from North Carolina. And how, you know, a lot of people from up north get family down south. So when you would go get your mixtapes from your dude with the blanket outside, it'll make its way further south. So that's how I end up hearing a lot of the Who Kids, Kid Capri's, Ron C's. Because when Kid Capri's mixtape came out, I can't recall the name, but it was the one that where he mixed in Stephanie Mills, something in the way you make me feel with Impeach the President. And it was like, you could hear it blasting out your vehicles and then it was where the d the mixtape dj it was like oh this is fire so we got to do our own spin of what's going on here you know depending on mm-hmm. what locale we at and then our own spin to it what's um i think it was uh big mo he he started um he started his song off with um, y'all got that song called Whoa, you know, but we got a song called I don't remember it offhand, but yo, that was large. Man, no, it's called Man. Mm-hmm. Man. You, you ever heard that? That Man by Big Mo? No, I've oh. never heard it. The only song I know by Big oh. Mo was um, Purple Stuff. Nah, Big Mo had that man and um, that shit was big. And that's what I'm thinking. Wow, this is where we're at. Because the bottom line is, um, dude, <laughs> yo, people are doing, th- we in New York got content and we were doing the same thing. But everybody else was growing on it. Right. And also with the South, I mentioned Atlanta earlier with Babyface and L.A. and LaFace and mm-hmm. Outkast. So what was your first take on when you first heard Outkast? And did you think that it would be a tough sale to sell two Southern rappers outside of the Southern region to a wider masses when Southern player listed Cadillac music dropped? Um, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I mean, I, 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 at that point, I was respecting music. I was respecting everybody's music. 
I was respecting everybody's music and um and um I'm in my studio right now so I'm I'm, I'm I I want to hear let you hear this joint okay and um hopefully uh, hold on so we're getting an exclusive right here okay? so what we got on the box and I say that to say this, they respected us. They said, yo, I know in Louisiana, I mean, in New York, they had that song called Whoa. I was about to say that that sounds very similar to Whoa by Black Rob. Right. That's the way this song came out. I They said, I know in New York and whatever, they have that song called Whoa. But like, but where we from? We're like, oh, man. And that's the song. It's like, I'm like, damn. When I first heard that, I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, you right. know. We, we we all need to come together and make it happen, you know? Yeah, because I was, you know, pre-teens, early teens at the time when, you know, Death Row and Bad Boy was popping. And I felt that was unnecessary because both were making great music. It was enough room for everybody to eat because, you know, what Diddy was doing, taking the 80s record, sampling it, making, making it more pop. But Biggie, he had that pop appeal also that street appeal as well 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 the thing is man i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say i don't give a fuck what go ahead it's, it's your truth go ahead tell well, me. well 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 what i think it is when you let other people get involved in something they shouldn't be involved in that's the problem because the bottom line is man i know pop pop was one of the nicest cats and I, 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 I kind of brushed past with Biggie. I don't. I never met Biggie like that, but he was kind of cool too. And they got they, they let all these other fucking entities get involved into their shit, and that's what fucked them up. I'm sorry. I'm. A, I got to cuss because it's pissing me off. Because you got two great artists. Everybody looks at them, but it's these other people behind them that's messing the whole situation up. Right, and I always felt, you know, when you try to mix the legit with the street, it always going to be something not so great, and you can't do the street stuff with the corporate stuff, and we know that that does not go well. Because to be honest with you, I was there the last time I ever seen Biggie was two days, well, two days, let me see, did I fly home that night? A day or a day and a half before he died, I did the the the, the, the um, Soul Train Soul Train Award BT. Well, I don't even remember what the fucking awards was. I did the show, and I left either early that night, late that night, or early that morning. And when I got home, I remember six o'clock in the morning. They said, "Yo, Biggie got shot at this this party, the party at the theater, at the um." The Peter Automotive was. Museum for the Soul right, Chain Music. Right, right. Dude, I was there. I was there. I left a day before that happened. I was there. 
and I felt I felt that the vibe wasn't good. That's why I left home. And that's, go that's, home. that's crazy because I know a lot of people were saying the big, you know, don't go out to Cali, it's too hot. I was there when fucking um remember, I was there when the Soul Train Awards when Tupac button bum rushed the stage with snooping on. I mean with uh, with uh 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 A lot of people don't remember that. When at the end of the show, Anita Baker was hosting, Anita Baker and LL was hosting. And then my crew was on the stage, like, okay, I, we, 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 you know, we there too, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of things, man, that in hip hop shouldn't never have been, never had been, no. never had been, I, I never had been, because we let people, them dudes wasn't fucking all that, man, I'm telling you. Dudes weren't all that. They were the nicest guys, man. We let. I'm gonna tell you something, Go and ahead. I'm ending like this because I shit. We've been on this been almost two hours, but um, I'm gonna tell you like this. When LL and cannabis, I was like, "Yo, LL, you gotta come back. You gotta come back. You gotta do this. You gotta do that." See, they gas. Everybody's gassing, putting gas on the thing. But for what? Why? Real talk, why? Just to make sell some records? Come on, man. Yeah. Real, real quick, and I'm going to get y'all out of here. Do you have a story about Latin Quarter? My story about Latin Quarter was a different story. I'm going to tell you my story about Latin Quarter. Uh, can It's going to be a little left field. Are you Go ready ahead. for that? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm in Latin Quarter. And with my baby mama. And um, my baby mama's with her two cousins. They the little yellow, high yellow chicks. They fine, you know. So I'm with my crew. I'm with my crew. My man, Big Mookie, rest in peace. Horse, rest in peace. Crazy Lou. Garfield, rest in peace. And Norton. I had a brand new Maxima. So my dudes, we in the corner. I don't care. My, my, my baby mama, they over there. So my boys said, yo, we going home, man. So I said, I drove, I drove them to Queens. Drove them to Queens and came back. So came back to the Latin Quarter by myself. So I'm looking at my baby mama. She hooked up with a dude. I'm like, okay. I'm watching, you know, I'm I, you know how you just watch the situation. So what's she gonna do? You know, some, you know, niggas hugging up on her. So you, she's like, is she going to spin out? She ain't move. All right, okay. Now I'm getting mad. I'm like, okay. Now, I just dropped, I just dropped the killer squad off. I'm like, damn, I can't even really step to them like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But make a long story short, I stepped to her. I'm like, grab her. What the hell are you doing? This is in the Latin Quarter. I'm like, get your ass home. Guess who one of the dudes was? Who? Mike Tyson. Wow. <laughs> it was funny as hell. Mike talked, Mike remembers me about that too. It's funny. I didn't disrespect them. I, I just told her, you know, get home. But the funny part about that was Mike said to me, he said, yo, you was a real dude, man. Step to us. I said, man, Mike, be honest with you, 
you can box your ass off. But if I'd have grabbed you, because you got to remember, I was a New York City champ, New York State wrestling champ, mm-hmm. wrestling Olympic gold medals. I was a bad boy. Like, I could have been in, like, MMA right now. And I told Mike, I said, yo, Mike, if I'd have got you before you threw a punch, I would have choked your ass out. Trust me. <laughs> real talk. This is real talk. Real talk. Me and Mike were laughed about it. But it was it was funny. It was just funny, you know. I, man, it was man funny. that is so great. I gotta have you on for part two because there's so much more we didn't get to cover oh, in this interview. You know, Dapper Dan, the whole nine yards. So, do you have any shout outs you want to give before we conclude? To also plug your social media. Man, I just want to uh, uh, shout out guys like you, man, who who will give us a platform to tell our side of the story. You know what I mean? I mean, my, you know, you read all about this, but dude, let me tell my side of the story. You know, right. so I thank you. I thank you. No, 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 thank you. You know, living legend and the fans, everybody is going to enjoy this. You can catch this interview along with past interviews on all streaming platforms where you can find Beyond the Album Cover and the video version will be available on youtube.com slash J85. So subscribe and follow, tell a friend, spread the word. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the legendary DJ Cut Creator, thank you for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Thank you, man. I got about three more episodes, man, to tell you. <laughs> yes, sir. We're going to do it again.